We turn tonight to the book of Romans, the 16th chapter. Romans chapter 16. And before I read, I'll simply ask you a question, looking for an audible response. Is the 16th chapter of the book of Romans inspired by the Holy Spirit? Good answer. Second question. Is the 16th chapter of the book of Romans inerrant? How many of you know what's in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans? Probably not too many of us. Okay? We'd be very familiar with Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We'd be familiar with Romans chapter 5. We'd be very familiar with Romans chapter 8. We've become more familiar with Romans chapter 12. Makes a great marriage text, by the way. We know Romans chapter 13, given the culture and the day and age in which we live. The content of Romans chapter 16 might be a little fuzzy for us. We might know it's the chapter where Paul says to greet a lot of people. In fact, that's pretty much what the whole chapter is about. Yet, you just told me a very important truth. The 16th chapter is just as inspired by the Holy Spirit and is just as inerrant as any other chapter of the Bible. So we have to come before this chapter, not just tossing it away, not just saying, well, you know, that's not really as important as. No, it is. Because the Holy Spirit gave us this chapter as much as Romans 8. And this is as much the word of God, this is as much that which God wants us to know as is Romans chapter 8. As is that great text. No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Just as much as God wants us to know that, he wants us to know Romans chapter 16. So tonight we dig in. But it's one of those chapters with a lot of names. So let's get to it. Romans 16, starting to verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Canacri, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla, Prisca, excuse me, In other versions, it's Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, 
But all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apenatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adonicus and Juna, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodion. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tithania and Typhosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asinacris, Phlegon, Hermas, Petroboas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philiagas, Julia, Neres, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. As far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us that we could come here to worship. We look at this part of scripture and we wonder, uh, but we do see that Paul did know all these people by name and had a relation with them. And there is a purpose for this chapter. And we ask that you be with Pastor Bob. He fully explains this to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I could have chosen Phoebe. There's several others in this chapter whose names begin with the letter P. But I chose the one that occurs in verse 12. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. In his commentary on this particular chapter, McLaren begins it by painting for us a picture of an artist. An, an artist who has pictured a town scene with all sorts of various workers in the background. Some perhaps very small, and it, it must have taken but a couple of little brush strokes to actually form them. But in the, in the, the largest picture is, is the picture of an individual who is way in the foreground, who, who is larger than all the others, who is simply standing there observing the others. McLaren says that that's sort of what he thinks about when he looks at the 16th chapter of Romans. He sees Christ and the workers of the church at Rome. He sees Christ observing those who are watching over. Because yes, this comes to us from Paul, but 
we know that Paul, even as we mentioned a few moments ago, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's really the Holy Spirit. But then we know as well that this is the word of Christ. So it's really Christ. It is Christ through the Spirit, through Paul, who is taking note of all of these individuals there who are part of the church of Jesus Christ in Rome. Brothers and sisters of you and I. I want to look at three things from this text this evening, from that verse and from the chapter. First of all, her name. Secondly, her mention. And thirdly, her specifics. What exactly are we told about her? Her name, her mention, and her specifics. First of all, her name, the origin. Now, if you just listen, Persis, you would say, you know, that almost sounds like Persia. And you are entirely, absolutely correct. It is indeed the origin of this name is the name for a Persian woman. Now, you have to just stop and admire this just a little bit. You wonder, how does she get to Rome? Has she been there for a long time? Has she lived in Rome for years and years and years? Did her family, or did she come there generations ago, but, you know, through great-grandparents, and now she's come on the scene? Was she born in Rome? Was she a slave? Was she a servant? Was she part of some royal family who had some sort of entourage that, you know, they had some sort of official position like being ambassadors to Rome from, from the area of Persia? None of that is known to us. Except for the fact of her name is of Persian background. And now just look at this. I, we sang the hymn, O Father, You Are Sovereign, as the backdrop to, to what I'm about to say about this. God is sovereign. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Here is a Persian woman of background, of Persian background, who is now in Rome, who has an association with a Jewish man who is writing to her from Corinth in the Greek language. You can't make this up. This is the sovereignty of God at work. If there is nothing else for us to see in the life of Persis, it's the sovereignty of God that in God's sovereign plan, this woman has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this, as it were, international situation. It's something to marvel at. The work in the hand of God But it's not just her, is it? It's you and I, too. 
right? We think of our own individual backgrounds, our own family trees, and, and where our ancestors came from, and how they came to know the gospel, and how they perhaps moved here, and then how perhaps maybe they didn't know the gospel. Maybe they were unbelievers, but in God's work, in God's providence, in God's sovereignty, we did. It's an amazing thing to just stop and think about. But there's something else about her name, not just the origin, but the meaning of it. The name Persia means one who takes by storm. There's the sense behind it of energy. There's the sense of ambition. There, it also carries with it the idea to split and to divide. One almost sees the picture of an ax coming down on a piece of wood quickly, rapidly, with force, causing the wood to split and to splinter. One who takes by storm, with great energy, with great power. Now what's interesting is that really does fit that former empire of Persia, right? Think back to, to the account we have in the book of Daniel, right? Where, where they're at this dinner and we have the handwriting on the wall and nobody can figure it out. Daniel comes in and it's basically, this very night the kingdom's gonna come and be taken away from you, Belshazzar. Who takes it away? The Persians. And it was quick, it was decisive. It was a definitive blow. That what? It ends the Babylonian empire. In a moment, in an instant. See, how, that, that's Persia. That's what it represents there. This woman carries that name. And I think as we will come to see, there are aspects of her life that certainly fit that character of her name as well. Second thing, second point, her mention. Now we got to look at it once again as I've started to frame this in the context of the entire chapter. As it comes at the end of the book, this book of Romans is one of Paul's great doctrinal treatises. It lays out before us all of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. It is just filled. In fact, we, we use Romans primarily as, 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 as the evangelism tool of the church in taking people down that Romans road of leading them through the book of Romans to the truth of Jesus Christ and to the fact that we are to live for his glory and for his honor in all areas of our life, even as Paul through the Spirit covers that in the book of Romans. So in that, that larger context, okay, it's coming at the end of this book, but it's also in the context of all of these names, of all of these people, even as our brother Doug prayed, right? That, that Paul knows these individuals by name, right? We don't, we don't have believe in a robotic inspiration of the scriptures. 
In other words, Paul's just sitting there and writing names, writing names, writing names, writing names. In fact, if you read the end of the book carefully, Paul didn't actually write the actual letters. There's another fellow who is mentioned there, verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Paul dictates the letter. Paul is the, the, the one who is being inspired by the Spirit. We got another guy actually doing the, the writing, the scribing of the letter. But Paul knows them. He's not just mentioning them because his hand is being moved by the Spirit. These are people that he had a relationship with. And it indeed is a long list. Paul is in the habit at the end of his letters to do this. You can page through other letters of Paul, and Paul will frequently end his letter to a particular church this way. But there is probably no lengthier list than what we have here. So it's in the context of all of these workers that Persis is mentioned. Secondly, note it's a list of men and women. It's not just Paul remembering men, and it's not just Paul remembering women. It is Paul remembering those who are the workers in the kingdom. And she is included amongst this list. She is one of those whose name then appears. She is a member then of the Roman church. We know that from the context. The context would say this isn't just somebody that Paul met in Rome. No, she's a part of the church. How do we know? Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Paul is addressing various members of this Roman church of which she is also a part. She too, this woman by the name of Persis, has been noticed and spoken well of. What an honor it is, by God's grace, to be included by name in the Holy Scriptures so that the record of her life appears there. So that brings us thirdly. Yes, I'm up to the third point already. Okay. You know things are going to slow down sooner or later. Notice the specifics of what he writes. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. What do those words teach us? What do those words tell us? What do those words inform us about? And, and then what application does that have to our own lives and to our own day and age? First of all, I want you to note she is referenced as beloved. I think some versions use the term my dear friend. Other versions uh, follow up on the beloved by saying she is beloved of the Lord. Greet the beloved of the Lord, Persis. The word beloved comes from a Greek word, apatos. 
agapatos, excuse me, agapatos, meaning divine love. One who is loved divinely. Just think of the word, beloved. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Paul is using the same term to reference this woman, Persis, as God used to describe his son. The relationship that God has to his own son, Jesus Christ, the same word to describe that, the same word to describe the heart of God towards Jesus Christ is the same word that Paul is using to describe God's heart towards Persis. As Christ Jesus was beloved of the Father, so is Persis. I mean, isn't that, doesn't that just kind of startle you? Wouldn't you think maybe, eh, yeah, we get a little bit less. Or, or, yeah, the term for us should probably be a little bit lower than what is used for Christ. And yet throughout the gospel, throughout the New Testament, how are we referred to but as the co-heirs with Christ? We are also the beloved. I mean, there again, the, the word just stands out from the page. And, and, and what an amazing word it is to describe this woman. She too is beloved. With a divine love. With a love that has that agape sense, that love that, that is that self-sacrificing, that self-emptying love. It's a word that is used here of Persis to remind us of the fact that Christ did indeed empty his life for this woman. For persons. And one of the things you and I as believers in Jesus Christ tonight can walk out of this door with as a point of application is that our own hearts now can be uplifted. Because God knows you by name as well. And you also are the beloved of the Lord. You're known to him, not just as a number, not just as human. You are known to him as you are, the person that you are, and you are beloved by him. Secondly, in the ESV, there is a phrase that is missing. 
Okay? Now, I don't say missing because they made a mistake. That is not what I'm implying. But other versions include, along with this, the idea, and it's carried in here, okay? The idea that greet the beloved Persis, another woman who has worked hard in the Lord. It's the idea she is not alone. She's not the only one. She's not being singled out because she's the only one out of the whole list. Now she's another one. Another woman. And it takes me back to the, to the whole back in the New Testament of how there was with Jesus in his public ministry, this group of women who followed him along. And when the disciples have deserted, there is this group of women at the cross. That when there are no disciples at the tomb, there is this group of women. By name, they are mentioned. And, and what's interesting, if you look at Romans chapter 16, she's not the only one there either. Verse 1, Phoebe. Verse 2, Prisca. Verse 6, Mary. Verse 12, you, along with her, you have that Trephena and Trephosa. Verse 13, you have the mother of Rufus. Verse 15, you have Julia. Verse 15, you have the sister of Neresus. And then there's other lists that we could go to in other passages. Paul is not shy. The Holy Spirit is not shy. Christ is not shy about mentioning the fact that there are women who are in the service of the Lord. Now, with that phrase, I probably just got another target on my back. See, we live in such a, a vicious society today, even within the church. Right? This morning, I had all sorts of targets on my back for a, a few of the things I said about the church and how this would be taken, the, the, the execution of all those people from AI and what people would do with it. Well, here's, here's the other aspect of it. Today in our world and in our society, I'm not so sure you can preach Romans 16. I think you have to rip it out. Why? Because it mentions women in service to the Lord. Well, that can't be. Women can't serve the Lord. That's an impossibility. No, I think it's pretty clear. Romans 16 says there's quite a few women who are in service to the Lord. Now, they're not elders, they're not deacons, they're not preachers, but they're in service to the Lord. The word is the word, it says it. And so we have to take that as the message of God. Women are not in some class in the church where, oh yeah, you do stuff, but nobody takes note of it. That should not be. How do I know that? Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 teaches you and me 
that we are to notice, we are to see, and we are to acknowledge the women in the body of Christ who are serving the Lord. Not sweep it under a rug, not pretend it isn't there, not not notice it, but to acknowledge it, to confess it, to joy in it, to celebrate it. But of course, that comes with those stipulations that the word of God gives us. See, and that's the other side. That's the flip side of it. As soon as you mention women in service to the Lord, oh yeah, you've gone over to the other side. Now you want to ordain women. No, no, because the word tells us no. But the word also says clearly women can be in service to the Lord in the church, in the kingdom. And she is but one of, how many did I mention? Nine. One of nine in the book of Romans, just in this one single chapter. Of those that Paul is acknowledging have some role, have played some part, have done something of of note in the service of the kingdom. But therein too is the lesson, isn't there? Sometimes in our day and age and sometimes in our culture, people are unwilling to simply serve. Because they think it's beneath them. They think they're better. They think they're smarter. They think they're more important. So there's some things, no. Why would I want to do that? That is so beneath me. When folks, if I consider the fact that I was an enemy of God, that I was damned, and if it were not for the grace of God, I'd be spending an eternity in hell. Is anything really too small to do for the Lord? Is there anything that you could be asked to do in service to the Lord? Well, you're not making me an elder or a deacon. I can't preach, so therefore I'm no good. Folks, understand the grace of God. Is anything too small a privilege, too small an honor, too small an act of thankfulness and gratitude to do for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And I'm not just speaking of women, I'm speaking of men as well. I've known far too many pastors in my lifetime who would never wash a dish. 
would never clean up a child's vomit. Is there anything too little to be done for the service of Christ that we should not consider it an honor, a blessing, and a privilege just to do anything for the name of Jesus Christ? Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Has worked. That's the other word that stands out here. Has worked. The word that is used here in the, in the Greek implies the idea of toil until weary. Persis is here not just because she did one deed. She did one thing, one time. This woman has worked hard. She has toiled until she is weary. She is unrelenting in her service. Oh, remember the name. Right? Remember their name. One who takes by storm energy and ambition. This is her. She has worked she has toiled hard in the Lord. Worked until weary for the kingdom. And what an amazing woman this is. To some extent puts all of us to shame, does it not? We've got time for so many things. We've got so many things in life that weary us out, that tire us out. But I doubt there are too many of us that are really tired and worn out by our service and our work for the Lord. I might get tired out mowing my lawn. I might get tired out playing volleyball. And I might use, well, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm doing it for his glory. But the reality is, eh, we're probably doing a lot of it for our own selfish enjoyment. Are we really working hard for the Lord? Persis, this woman, is mentioned by Paul, by the Holy Spirit, by Christ. Because that's what's been observed. She is a woman who worked hard in the Lord. This is for who she labored. This is who she is serving. All that she is doing, all that she is working for, all that she is laboring for is in the Lord. It's as a believer. It's for believers. It's for her Savior. It's for her king. It's for her sovereign. She is working hard in the Lord. You know what I find interesting about this passage? Paul doesn't tell us what she did. Then it just kind of makes me so what was she doing? What did she do there in the church of Rome? What did Paul, what was noticed? 
Actually, what gets reported to Paul about her? Others are telling Paul about this woman. What was she doing? Well, think about the work of the church. Think about the work. Think about all that is involved in the work and the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. She worked hard in the Lord. And that's the second thing to note. It's she worked hard. She didn't just work. Isn't it amazing how when you stop to read a passage, all of a sudden it, it, things just come out? You know, greet the beloved Persis who worked in the Lord. No, no, no. As if saying she worked was not emphasis enough. If saying and using the Greek word that Paul does here, this wearying labor is not enough. He has to add the fact that it's, she worked how? Hard. Persistently, consistently. She labored much, often. She worked many times. She worked frequently for the Lord. Well, there she is. A servant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One amongst, I think there's 29 names listed in this passage, or 27. All of which Paul then encourages at the end to greet one another with a holy kiss. That sign of fellowship, that sign of oneness, not the sign of, oh man, she got mentioned in the letter, I didn't. No, just greet one another with a holy kiss. Be the unity, be the body of Christ. And then note, at the end of that 16th verse, all the churches of Christ greet you. Paul is calling the whole church of Jesus Christ to take note of these folks who are laboring and working. She's not the only one. She's just one of many. And Paul is saying, take note, take note, church. Maybe that's the message for you and I tonight. Take note. Take note of that which Christ is taking note of. Take note of, of how it is that we as those who are recipients of grace, not to earn our salvation, and not to be guilted into it. I know it kind of comes off that way. But this ought to be just our natural response. What can I do? What can I do to serve the church of Jesus Christ? Right? I think I saw him here tonight, right? I saw Ed. Okay? One of the things that, okay, we always, after Ed Anderson gives his presentations on Kenya, you know, just about everybody I meet, right, after the presentations says, 
Okay? And I only call out his name because Paul calls out names, right? Okay? Says, boy, that guy does a lot. Boy, that guy does a lot. Now, come next week, hear what he does. But then the question to ask ourselves is, and what am I doing? What am I really doing for the church of Jesus Christ? What am I doing for the church broadly? What am I doing for the church narrowly? What am I doing? How am I serving? Now don't think too hard. And don't be too rough on yourself. But do think about it. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Don't underestimate your faithful attendance. Don't underestimate your giving to the kingdom. But do ask yourself, is there other ways that I can serve men and women alike? Boys and girls, what can I do to serve, to work hard? In the Lord, out of my gratitude and thankfulness for the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we read in your word that our Lord and Savior takes note of those who bring a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ. We read, Father, that he takes note of those who clothe the naked, who takes note of those who visits the prisoner, who takes note of those who feed the hungry, who takes note of those who work hard in the Lord. Father, give us not only eyes to see, give us opportunities to serve, and give us a willing heart. A willing heart as we see in this woman Persis, but as we see throughout this whole chapter of men and women there in the church of Rome who were willing to serve the glory and the honor and just the privilege of serving Christ. In his name, God's people say, Amen.